There are a lot of mornings when we wake up and we don't know how we're going to face the day. But your grace, lamentation says, your grace and mercy are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Our faithfulness is really spotty. We have good days. We have incredible days. Sometimes we're just on fire, assured of everything that you have told us. And then other days, we're unsure of what way to turn. We are grateful today to be able to acknowledge together as a family that your mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Father. Thank you for being faithful to us today. And we pray as we open the scripture together that we might be able to hear your voice, that your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to us, that you would drive this truth deep into our hearts, far beyond all of our defenses, so that we might be able to hear exactly what you want us to know this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You may be seated. I want to thank the band for leading us in worship every week. I don't thank them every week because probably they don't want me to draw any attention to them. And the other reason is because there's a different group up here every week. So if I thank one group, it seems like I like them and I don't like the others, which is not true. But I am uh, very appreciative appreciative of our band for Catherine and Joe and Tara leading every Sunday. And I think there's like 28 or 30 people who are a part of our worship team. We have all kinds of drummers and keyboardists and guitar, guitarists and singers. And uh, it's nice to see that Justin's lessons are starting to take. I, I try to spend as much time with him as I can every week, but I'm a busy guy. So um, he is fortunately able to... Uh, meander through without me sometimes, so it's, it's good to see that. We're glad to be able to be together like this, to have these times of worship. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, when you're standing out there by yourself at your job, or you're at school, or maybe even in your neighborhood, sometimes it feels pretty lonely. But when we come together like this, we're reminded, right? We're reminded that we're not alone. We're reminded that God is great, that he is faithful, that he is powerful, and that he has a plan for us, and he has a purpose for this world. And that's what we talk about when we come together like this. We talk about what God wants to do in us and what he wants to do in this world. Now, we are in our ninth week of the book of Hebrews already, and if you have been with us for some of those, you may have noticed that Hebrews is not an easy book. I will tell you right now that Hebrews is not an easy book to interpret and teach, and it's probably some of it not very easy for some of you as hearers as well. We are being challenged about how we view Jesus Christ. 
And we have been warned twice already. There's five more. There's seven warnings in Hebrews that we're going to look at. We've already looked at two of them. We've been warned not to drift away from Christ. And we have been warned not to harden our hearts. And now we come to a passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that includes this line. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. What does that mean? It sounds violent and brutal. I thought God was supposed to be love. I thought God was all about peace and mercy. I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of these people that I I hate anything very close to my eye. I'm kind of glad for my glasses because they keep things away from my eyes. Um, I'm the guy that if you gave me drops to put in my eyes, I would go like this and they would just run down my face because as soon as somebody started to squeeze the bottle, I would close my eye, you know. I just don't like it. I can't even imagine a scalpel near my eye. Can you imagine that? A scalpel near your eye? But every year, 1.3 million people have cataract surgery. I made the horrifying mistake of Googling cataract surgery this week. (laughs) I know things now that I wish I had never known and I will probably never forget. They literally take the lens of your eye off to fix it. 400,000 people every year have open heart surgery. Crack it right open. But it saves people's lives, doesn't it? Many of those people would die if it were not for that scalpel in the hands of the surgeon. Blades save lives. But you know, there's another side to this as well. Around the world every year, about 100,000 people die from knife wounds and knife injuries. See, there's an interesting thing about a blade or a scalpel. In a skilled hand, with good intent, it can save lives. But in the wrong hands, with ill intent, they can take lives. And we're going to see this morning that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. What does that mean? It means, yes, God is loving. He is just. He is gracious and merciful. But He is also holy and righteous. And the Word of God is a reflection of the character of God, which means the Scripture can bring forgiveness and healing and salvation, but the Word of God can also bring condemnation and judgment. What did we learn last week? Well, we learned how to have rest. And we found out that the only way to avoid missing out on what God has provided for us in rest is by trusting what God's Word has to say, by believing the truth. And in this passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see that the Word of God lays our hearts bare before Him. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to assess our hearts. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning, and what I want you to be thinking about as we move forward is this. When the Word of God assesses your heart, what are we going to find? 
what is going to be there? And will there be healing or judgment? You see, my friends, trusting God's word will save you. Rejecting it will condemn you. Because the word of God cuts both ways. We're going to read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me or you can follow on the screen. Just two verses this morning. I want to read them both for you and then we'll look at each one of them for a few moments. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now there are several distinctive words here. You might see the little comparisons there. Uh, Soul and spirit, thoughts and intentions, joints and marrow and all those things. And we'll look at a little bit of it in a moment. But what I want you to make sure of is that you don't miss the clear, undisputed meaning of this verse. And it's this. That one of the functions of Scripture when it comes to our hearts is to penetrate all of our tough layers and make a judgment about what's in there. That's what the Word of God does. It cuts through everything to find out what's in our hearts. Now look at verse 12 for a moment. We're going to notice a few things there. And I want you to see that there's the word discern. It says discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now the word discern is the Greek word kritikos, from which we get our word critical. And it really means to assess. To assess something, to, to determine of what nature it is. Now, if I were to go home and to bake a cake and bring it to your house and say, I would like you to try this cake and see what you think, what am I asking you to do? It's not a trick question. If somebody brings you a delicious looking cake and they want you to try it, what do they want you to do? They want to know, is it any good? Especially for someone like me who has very little baking skill and I'm very insecure about my abilities in the kitchen. What do you think? Assess it. Critique it. Is it good or is it bad? Is it delicious? Do you want more or is it horrible? Do you want to spit it out? Throw it in the trash. That's the word that the writer uses here. The word of God assesses. The scripture has that probing quality in uh, 30 years of doing this I wish I could tell you how many times I have come out after a service and someone has said something like this wow you're really stepping on people's toes today Or how many times has someone come up to me, and I know this has happened to Tim as well, and come up to me almost like with a finger in our face and said, who told you what was going on? Or sometimes I think people just get mad and don't come back. That's not me. That's not Tim. 
That's the word of God, which is sharp and cuts through all the layers that you and I like to build over our hearts. Why do we do that? Because we don't want people to see what's in there. We want to control what people see. We want to control what people think about us. That's why social media has exploded. Because I can control it. I want you to see the pictures of me and my little babies at the beach laughing and giggling. I don't want you to see the picture of me dragging my little one to the bathroom because their diaper exploded and now there's sand and other material everywhere, and I don't know what to do about it. I want you to see my little one playing and laughing and singing along to the song in the car. I don't want you to be able to smell the sour milk that's been spilled in that car seat for two years that makes my stomach turn when I open the door. When we come here, it feels like our toes are getting stepped on and it feels like somebody that shouldn't really know everything about you can see right through you. That's the word of God. The Bible is not a $1 flea market paperback. What does the writer say? It's alive. It's living. It's active. In other words, the word of God demands a response. That's why every single Sunday, whether it's me up here or Tim up here, we usually end with, what are you, you know, sometimes we don't say it like this, but what are you going to do with what you now know? Because the word of God demands a response. Over in Isaiah 55, Isaiah says it this way, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now I know you don't like the rain. I know it's raining. I know it's 43 degrees. I know it's the last day of April. It stinks. Okay, get over it. We're grown-ups. We live in Maine. This is the way it works. And for the next seven days, it's going to rain. But do you know what's going to happen after that? I looked on the weather app this morning in the vain hope that it wasn't going to rain for the next seven days. But you know what it's going to do next Saturday or Sunday? (laughs) The sun's going to come out. And the black flies are going to come out. That is is true. I'm trying to paint a rosy picture here, Scott. There are going to be millions of black flies. I'm sorry. Again, Maine. And the grass is going to grow. 
and my maple trees on my front lawn, which are so stubborn every year and are the last trees on the eastern seaboard to have leaves, (laughs) those buds are going to come out. And I bet you by the end of next week, I'm going to have maple leaves. That's what Isaiah is saying here. The rain is not for no reason. It produces a result. And he says, that's the same with my word. It's not for no reason. It produces a result. It prompts a response. It demands a response. It stabs us in the heart and wakes us off. He says it pierces between our soul and our spirit. We could spend three days talking about the difference between soul and spirit and debating it and all this kind of stuff. But let's just say it this way. The soul is really your real you, your humanity, your your will, your, your mind, your emotions. And your spirit is the part of you that connects with God and desires a relationship with God. The bottom line is that the word of God drives deep into the real you, past the surface, to see who you really are. Past casual friendship, past surface knowledge, right into, he says, our thoughts and intentions. How we really feel, the emotions that drive us, our thought processes, our deep opinions, all the way to our attitudes and our motivations. Wait a second. That's kind of scary. I don't know about you, but there are lots of times when I have just enough energy to put out there what I want people to see, but if you go very deep, you'll see that my attitude is not what it should be. Oh, I know the right thing to do, and I can do the right thing, but I don't want to do the right thing, but I do the right thing because I want you to see me doing the right thing, but I don't want you to know that I don't want to do the right thing. But the Word of God goes through all of that to our opinions and our attitudes and our motivations. What does this mean? Why does it matter that we know this? Well... Because it means that, verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight. That is God. Now, you can certainly hide things from me. I mean, most of you I only see once a week. Some of you I I don't even know you. So you can hide things from me. And maybe you can hide things from some of your friends and some of your coworkers. And if you're really good, you can hide things from your spouse if you have one, or you can hide things from whoever is closest to you. But you are not hiding anything from God. You're not hiding anything from Him. We do not, we cannot hide our sinful thoughts, our attitudes, our motivations, let alone our actions from God who sees all. No creature is hidden from his sight. Why? What happens? Well, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God And notice the next phrase in verse 13. But all are naked and exposed 
to his eyes. Now, this language is incredibly picturesque, isn't it? Naked. No one wants to be naked in front of someone. That's embarrassing. It's horrifying. The implication here is that there's no hiding. I found out that this word literally means poorly clothed or slightly covered. It doesn't actually mean stark naked, which is what you think and what I think when we read it in English. That's how we use it. But the Greek word means poorly clothed or or slightly covered. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, that's more than interesting. It's fascinating that God uses this word in this spot. Because that's what we try to do to our sin and to our attitudes, to our selfishness and to our wrong motivations. We try to cover it up, but we do it poorly. Sometimes it doesn't even fool those that are closest to us. But imagine, this is what the writer wants us to hear here. Imagine how God views our feeble attempts to hide our sin. Imagine how God views that. We're over here and we're doing our little thing. We don't want anybody to see. (laughs) They can't see what I'm doing. They don't know what I'm thinking. And God is standing there going, An extremely poor attempt to cover up what you're doing. I can see you. I can see all of it. That's what he's saying here. Not only naked, but he uses another interesting word as well. He says exposed. Now, some of you know, because you've been here enough times, that I love to look all these words up. I am not a Greek scholar, I am not a Greek expert, but I have access to a lot of guys who are, and so I see what they have to say, and I love looking all these words up, and I looked up the word exposed, and it literally means to take by the throat. What in the world does that have with being exposed? What does that have to do with being exposed? To take by the throat. So I did a little bit more digging. I went a little bit deeper. And I found out, maybe you know this, you know that the ancient Greeks loved wrestling. The ancient Greeks were the ones who came up with the first Olympic Games way back when, and they loved wrestling. And the word that's translated exposed in our English Bible is a wrestling term for a chokehold. And this chokehold, the aggressor, would come up behind the enemy, grab them by the neck, and lean back, perhaps wrap a leg around the body of their enemy, and lean back and stretch them back so that their neck would be exposed if it was in battle, so that they could 
kill their enemy. And the picture here for us is a vulnerability. When a person is in that position, when they're in a chokehold and their neck is exposed and all of their vitals, they're vulnerable. They can't defend themselves. And this is the picture that we have. All are naked and exposed to his eyes. Our sin is poorly covered and before God we are vulnerable. That's why you feel uncomfortable sometimes when I'm up here or Tim's up here and we're opening God's word for you and we're explaining what God desires from us and what he asks of us and what he expects of us and in some cases what he demands of us and you're squirming and uncomfortable and you're wondering if anybody's looking at you and you're wishing you had thought of something else to do instead of come to church that day. That's why. Because your sin is poorly covered and you're vulnerable. It exposes our sin and our error. It shows us where we are wrong. Let me read verse 13 for you again in its entirety because I want to just look at that last phrase. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I don't know how you're going to respond to this, but if you thought the first part of this verse was disturbing and scary, I think this part is the most disturbing and scariest. To whom we must give account. The word account there means reasoning. It means expressing yourself with words. And the picture is this. There is going to be a reckoning between you and God. There's going to be a little face-to-face one day. And you are going to have to explain how you lived your life. I have a wonderful mother and father. My love very much who I think did a pretty good job raising me and my brothers, at least the best they could do with what they had to work with. I can remember many times, however, in our house where I grew up for the first 12 years of my life in Herman, Maine, just outside Bangor, in our kitchen there was a little stool, a little green vinyl-covered stool that sat over to the side. And I was always irritating my brother. I have two brothers. One was much younger and was not even born yet when I'm thinking about what I'm describing. The other one is a year younger than I am. And I just, I don't know, I just thoroughly enjoyed irritating him. That's just the way it was. And I got in trouble many times for doing that. And I can remember that sometimes my mother would discipline me on the spot which was not enjoyable, necessary and deserved, but not enjoyable. And then sometimes when the situation called for it, she would tell me to sit on that stool and she would say, Mike, 
you have to sit there until your father gets home from work. I hated those times because I knew what was going to happen. My dad was going to come home from work, and my dad is a wonderful, loving person. He is the best dad in the world. I feel bad for all of you that had to settle for second best or worst. Fantastic father, but oh boy, I hated having done something wrong and sitting in that stool and him coming in and my mom saying, you need to speak with Mike. And I would have to give an account of what I had done. Face to face, looking my dad in the eye. Contrary to popular belief, we are accountable for what we do and we will have to answer for it to the God who created us. Most people are convinced that they answer to no one. But that's not what the scripture says. It says we are accountable to the one who has given us life. Can I ask you this? What do you believe about the word of God? You believe it's just a book or that it is alive and powerful, that it lays our hearts bare before God. My advice is do not take the scripture lightly. If you trust it, you will be saved. If you reject it, you will be condemned. The scripture is taken out of whole cloth. It must be accepted, received, believed, and obeyed in its entirety. You can't read and treasure and obey the parts you like and reject what is difficult. You have to take it all. Let me ask you this. Are you avoiding a scriptural principle in your life because it condemns your desires? Is there part of your life that you need to bring into line with God and his word? In regard to your attitude toward other people? In regard to your sexual purity? In regard to how you use your money? In regard to how you treat other people, your attitude your gratitude and thankfulness. See, here's the thing. We need protection. We need protection from the deceitfulness of sin and we need protection from the lies of Satan. And if you are not bringing your life into line with God's word in every area of your life with the truth of the Bible, then you are believing the lies of Satan. Scripture gives us that protection. It exposes Satan's lies and the lies that we tell ourselves. Your heart needs to be laid bare. It needs to be opened up, exposed. The good news, when we do that, when we allow that to happen, the Scripture brings healing. My encouragement to you is to let Scripture expose the error in your heart or in your life and let the scalpel of truth cut out what is wrong. 
so that God can make you whole. There's forgiveness and strength and grace and help. See, here's the thing. Your sin is poorly hidden. Maybe well hidden from me, but it's poorly hidden before God. Your innermost thoughts, your attitudes are exposed. And you will have to give an account to him one day, face to face. You'll have to reason out why you chose to live the way that you live. Because every single one of us will stand before God. Yikes. Now the good news is you don't have to stand before God alone. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, you know what the scripture says? Scripture says that he is our advocate. And you won't stand there alone. You will stand there with Christ by your side and he will testify for you. He will say, Father, this is one of mine and my blood covers all of their sin. The standard of truth leads to life. As one way to the Father, Jesus Christ. One way to stand face to face with God and be saved. That is Christ. My friends, do not take the word of God lightly, but enjoy the healing that comes when we allow his word to do surgery in our hearts and to make us right before God. Father, this morning we are standing here. We have heard your word. We are asking that the Holy Spirit would take it and impress its truth upon our hearts. For those who are wrestling with sin, sin that they think is hidden, but is exposed to you by the light of your word, I pray that you will bring grace and healing, that you will bring hope where there is none. We are so thankful to be able to gather in this way to encourage and challenge each other. And I pray that as we go out into this community that we will be a light in the darkness, that we will take the truth with us, that others might know the one way of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would just give us the strength that we need for whatever is coming this week, Lord. We have our plans, but our lives are in your hands and you alone know. So strengthen us and prepare us for what is ahead in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks.